Welcome to Why Though. We're your hosts, Tiffany Bloom and Ashley Abercrombie. We land somewhere in between Mother Teresa and Biggie Smalls, and we're just wondering, why though? We all have questions, from our existential crisis curiosities to our, hey girl, why your eyebrows look so good though? And we want to tackle all of those questions with you. Welcome back to Why Though. Listeners, we are just honored. We're tickled pink. Y'all been listening. Y'all been showing up. We have grown tremendously in the last three months, and we're so thankful that you're along for the journey. Whether you're new to the Why Though fam or whether you're a subscriber since the early days of 2018. I was about to say 08, but that's a whole nother. That's not. No, we didn't start in 08. We definitely did not. We didn't. uh, No, no. I don't even think I knew what a podcast was in 2008. So You know what I was doing? Do you want to know what I was doing with podcasts in 2008? I was downloading them to CDs and then listening to them in the car. Whoa. Yes. That's intense. I would download sermon podcasts and those last, I mean, so many just, it's just a waste. It's just See, awful. Gen Z, like literally nobody knows our sorrow. You guys, we had to burn understand. CDs. Do you guys understand what, Do you like, how, how much time that takes? In fact, I had to go, like I used to burn tapes back yeah, in the day. Yeah, I was going to say, tapes, and record, tapes off the radio. Yes, radio interviews, exactly. VCRs for the TV. Like guys, Do you we, remember our generation has seen a lot, okay? Millennials, we've seen a lot. <laughs> It's a lot. Do you remember running to the bathroom during TGIF? Like, I have got to make this happen so I can get back to watch Step by Step because you know you got, like, max two minutes. Yes. The commercials are, are, you know. And they used to be good back in the day also. I know. They were good commercials back then. Also, can we just talk about commercials a second? I need these Super Bowl commercials to show up. Are they not? They're not as good as you think, advertisers. They're just No one watches the Super Bowl, okay? Gosh. In our household. So we don't, I I don't even watch them. We switched to Octonauts halfway down. (laughs) Yeah. No, we don't watch it. <laughs> we tried. We tried. And then I was like, do we need some salt and pepper shakers to actually explain how football works? Anyway, it's fine. No, um, it's fine. Why the listeners, Miss Abercrombie had to just hear me talk her ear off for a solid 20 minutes about my life right now. But on the upside, I need to tell you all that I'm wearing real pants because I am usually team stretchy. And today is jeans day. And Ashley is the queen of putting on uh, <clears throat> real pants. And that is mm-hmm. evidenced by some fabulous Instagram posts you'll see with her new purchase from The Gap, which she took her <laughs> baby to. <laughs> yes, and I love real pants, mighty guys. Fine. She's, she's team real pants. And she puts on hoops every day. I do. I, I, every single day. They're every sitting by my day. sink, and I just put them in my ears right after I brush my teeth and go make my coffee. Oh, it's like a – it's like a oh, it's okay, my ritual. That's beyond, that's mm-hmm. beyond accessories. Mm-hmm. That is ritual, like it you is. said. That's a ritual. Yep. Yep. Now, uh, indulge me. How many pairs of hoops do you have? Is this oh my your gosh! Cheeseboard situation where you're like a PhD. Let me see. I have about six pairs of different sized hoops uh, because you gotta, you know, I have like my basic pair I wear every day, and they're like medium size. But sometimes you need mm-hmm. some little ones if you're gonna, you know, if I decide to wear earrings in the second hole, I need them to be smaller. Totally. And then I have some extra large ones for ponytails and buns. So yeah, I have a lot of. Are hoops. they um are they gold or do we have some always? Mixed in? Oh no 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 always. I'm I'm only full with gold in my earlobes. You know, Same. so I went through a silver phase in the '90s, and we all now did. I can, we were there. Yeah, so I can never go back there because those were dark days. So I know some of you might be rocking. <laughs> silver right now and more power to you but it's kind of like the scrunchies or the fanny packs like I could never get back into it because it was such a traumatizing childhood and teenage experience so silver's off the list dead to me Mm -hmm. you know what got to me silver 
was, uh, first of all, you're not going to love this part, but my purity ring in high school, which I had like four because oh, I kept losing Lord. them. So I had a lot of silver purity rings, <laughs> maybe four. I don't know, but they're all silver. And I kept losing them by the sink at in school and then someone would take it and I'd never find it again so then I'd oh go by but don't worry I got cheaper and cheaper by the end of it it was just like cubic zirconia from Walmart so right fine. and turning Secondly, your finger green yes 100% <laughs> it just bright bright green but then also do you recall the pagoda like jewelry no kiosks at the malls it was no. so 90s and early 2000s as well but just those and they would be like all this like silver jewelry it was like pre Kendra Scott you know also, oh, are you a Kendra no, Scott I fan? I, I feel so bad if we ever do an ad for Kendra Scott. That'd be that'd be awful for me to say this. But you know what? Like I'll just really plead the fifth. It. I'm a plead oh. the fifth. I okay. plead the fifth. Well, I played my hand. If y'all remember so that Dave Chappelle episode? You did. You did play you your did. hand. I'm a plead the fifth. You know what, though? I just want to say thank you to people who have given me Kendra Scott gifts. I feel like that should be said. I just want to give that little disclaimer. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your gift. Mm-hmm. I do wear it. When I speak and when I have to look presentable to the outside world when I'm look not wearing that. a baseball hat mm-hmm. and or stretchy pants. Mm-hmm. You know, delicate jewelry is hard for me. Uh, that's what I should yes. say. I just yes. don't really what, do delicate. Well I have chunky jewelry, chunky, you know, um, necklaces, big earrings. So Kendra's a little um, delicate. But I understand my head is also large. My hair is also big. I do not have the luxury of wearing tiny things. Um, no, they just, no tiny they things. look ridiculous. So I need, I need the bigness of other, um, jewelry makers. Also, it's just my personality. I just love extra. <laughs> like, I'm like, Oh, is that neon green neck scarf? Please. Yes. Oh, wow. That? <laughs> yeah. That, that's next level. See, I can't do neon either because of the nineties <gasps> and the eighties. I can't do it. I you you know what? Yet. I think I'm just young enough, just younger and younger than you mm-hmm. to, to feel like neon is fresh for me. Right. So neon for me was like we wore one neon sock on the top and another neon sock on the bottom. And then we flipped it on the other leg and we had neon scrunchies and neon fanny packs. Like, guys, it's too much. So it it triggers all these like very ugly outfits from the photos that I have from the 80s and early 90s. So I'm very anti, although I think it's fresh on a lot of people. You know, at the Golden Globes, on the red carpet, many people Mm -hmm. wore neon and it looks fabulous. But it just for me personally, for me in my house... We don't go there, says the Lord. <laughs> I just have to say, as a brown-skinned woman, yeah, it makes looks me fabulous. feel like, what? Yes. It just pops. Absolutely. Said the girl who has, like, evergreen, dark forest nails right now. But whatever. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> Neon's my thing. I'm like, you know, you know, especially because of the internet, your hands are in pictures so much, whether it's, like, on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, mm-hmm. as if I'm on Facebook. But I just am like... I should have an adult color once in a while. Mm-hmm. Once in a while. Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Maybe. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Ashley, today, let's talk about everyone's favorite topic, narcissism. <laughs> <laughs> but it actually has become a favorite topic, and it started for me it really with is. the Red Table Talk. And so Ooh, I watched yes, a Red Table episode. Talk episode um, with where they interviewed a therapist who specializes in narcissism. And I really was so blessed to listen to that conversation. And since then, I feel like, I mean, surely everyone out here who's an actual therapist listening to this is like, it's been around forever, guys. But it has become much more mainstream as we've tried to make sense of so many mm-hmm. of the scandals and the abuse and all of that. And I love that you address this topic in your book. I think it's so central to us understanding how powerful leaders thrive. And also a narcissist, I always just thought like you can spot 
bottom from jump. But then I've learned that you actually can't. And it's a little bit like a pimp where you don't actually know where this is headed, you know, with all the grooming techniques and the way that they lure you in. And then all of a sudden you're working under or being around or living with a narcissist without Mm -hmm. even realizing how you got there. So I'm excited Mm -hmm. to talk to you about this because I think this theme in your book is an important one for us to understand. Yeah, you know what's so funny, uh, and this is a little BTS, but I wasn't originally planning to write an entire chapter on narcissism, but after I turned in um, first couple chapters, we pulled a chapter, which I hope to use for a future book someday, because it's still sitting on my hard drive somewhere, about how we listen to women who are eloquent or who are calm. We won't listen to women if they're um, angry or upset, yeah. we have all these preconceived ideas of who we'll listen to and who we won't yep. based on how they sound. So I ended up shelving that, and we'll, I'll use it for something else at some point, and really decided to hone in on narcissistic tendencies that we see where we work and worship and play, and how those, just as you said, are not as easy to spot as we think, and also how narcissistic personalities are often praised as um, fabulous leadership qualities. Mm. We have really got in our men. wires crossed. In there. men, come on, girl, in <laughs> the males, yes. in the males, and um, and even you know, I think back to just in the last few months of so many faith leaders, and of, there's so many leaders just this week, first week of March. Dear, hey, Women's History Month, what what? But just this week of men that we'll get into um, who've really. Um, allowed their narcissism to get the best of them and and it's and they've even sacrificed their own lives um, because they didn't want to face consequences for their actions but uh, in the faith community what I think is very fascinating is we often see men who did have the evidence of the fruit of the spirit and yeah. did have um, perseverance and kindness and grace and all of these characters that we're looking for in faith leadership and they shed those virtues and values the higher they climb up the ladder because they have more access to unchecked power or they and just so, reveal more of themselves frankly because yep yeah master hiders and master on, pretenders manipulators <laughs> yeah. yeah um and i just maybe i should uh first just give a little bullet point of narcissism and, and just some defining factors that maybe should have done that a minute ago but um one of the things about narcissism is that those who uh, employ those tendencies, whether they are a narcissist, a diagnosed narcissist, or have narcissistic tendencies, is they use and groom, just as Ashley said, the people around them. They are con- considered supply, if you will, to meet their agenda and their need. And they will often discard that person, that resource, um, that group of people once they're no longer useful. Now, what happens is the people around them are so taken because master narcissists are very, very charming. We'd love to think that, you know, somebody posting their avocado toast or duck lips or them preaching on their Instagram feed is like, oh, that's a narcissist. But that's not always the case. They're, they can make us feel incredibly loved and seen and valued and appear to be virtuous and generous and benevolent. And in reality, they're only employing those tactics to groom us, to manipulate us, and eventually to gaslight us that if anything went wrong, it's our fault, not their fault. So their twisted, warped understanding of the world is not one that is rooted in reality, quite frankly, but really is um, 
just an agenda unto themselves. And I love that you mentioned that Red Table Talk because you had sent me that link. Mm -hmm. And then I had went and researched and and read her book um, and ended up quoting her. She was just such a great – so we can put Mm -hmm. that in the show notes. Just really, really valuable um, conversation with Jada Pinkett Smith on unpacking narcissism and how um, they're masters of first impressions. And so it's very hard for us to see through – their plan or agenda or how that we only exist in their orbit to serve them. It's not, there's no evidence of reciprocity. Right. So I love that. And I'm always interested when you say, like, you've talked about this before and I'm different, I'm different in this way. So I'm so curious for you to unpack a little bit more about this and for you to talk and for us to talk about the differences, but you often talk about how it's hard for us to believe somebody past their first impression. And that's the opposite of how I think like first impressions are pretty meaningless to me because I think that they don't, they don't do any of this. And maybe that's come with wisdom and experience. I don't know. But like, they don't teach you who somebody really is. Like all of us can perform, I say for a good six months in relationship before we start like letting the guard down and really showing some things. Mm -hmm. And so what is it that you feel like, you know, is that different for different people? Is it different in different relationships that we would assume that who somebody tells us they are, you know, in the beginning stays the same. And for me, I haven't found that to be true in any relationships in my life. It's like, it takes some time for us to, for people to earn trust and for us to really see who they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I'm, I'm so sensitive to like the crazy that comes out of people. And I'm, I'm not yeah. talking about just like regular <laughs> old crazy, that. but I get sensitive, like in a meeting, if somebody says something and you're like, wait, what? Like I, I'm very often the one in the room who does that exact thing, or just I have a face that's like, are you cr- like, what just happened right now? So can we talk about the differences in people and how to spot oh, I love them that. Yeah. and why first impressions might mean more to other people and not so much with others? Like, I feel like we're, we're all really different on this. So let's talk yeah, about it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I want to first agree with you on how you said that you can spot that. I I think um, personality, past mm-hmm. experience, plus I, I think people who have been through recovery have are much true. more equipped That's true. to spot um, unhealthy people. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think of in my own life, mm-hmm. until honestly, actually you gave me resources on what it looks like to spot unhealthy people. As somebody who grew up, you know, pursuing emotional health as an yeah. adult, that wasn't something I had learned until I had befriended somebody in recovery who was able to equip me in that manner. Right. So I totally just want to just camp on the fact that I th- also think, I mean, you know, I'm sure some Enneagram expert could affirm this. Right. But I think eights have a, a significant um, different understanding and they're maybe a little bit more in a healthy manner skeptical of people's yes. first impressions. That's true. Um, yep. So I think it comes with wisdom. I think it comes with personality. I think it comes with um, recovery and growth and having worked through one's own ish, for lack of a better term. Right. And, but it, but the research shows that for most of us, subconsciously, not consciously, subconsciously, we believe if our very first impression, which is why we see um, the impact of social media, of just those quick little 15-second image, you know, quick image reels, we're like, oh, that person looks kind generous you know fill in the blank right um we we we're just so quick to pass judgment yeah and if somebody especially in the faith world because they represent the goodness or kindness and will and faithfulness of god we already assume that they have good intentions there's that built-in assumption there mm-hmm. and again i i hear that you, this is something you would disagree with and i think that it's it's truth tellers like you that are going to help make the world a better place. I really am not trying to blow smoke. I really believe that this is part of the answer. Yeah. Is more education on this issue and more understanding right. of how this happens. Right. Um, and that people are fallible and that people that people aren't perfect and that people are capable of harm even if they appear good. Right. So what, what we have is these people who are master of first impressions. Right. And then we employ confirmation bias. So we're looking, we're mining our own brain 
looking for reasons to affirm our first impression. Right. It's good. Um, and and I, I feel like, at, as one of my dearest friends, you've seen this in me. I give people the benefit of the doubt way too long. Mm. You know? <laughs> I, I, I'm like, oh, surely they didn't mean it like that. Or, man, I don't know about this. Or, oh, but they have the best, my, my best interest at heart. So I keep playing the, but they've, but they've been kind. Right. An interesting thing about narcissistic um, tendencies employed by men in power is that they know how to use it and when to use it. Yeah. So if they sense that you're, like, starting to feel suspect about them. Right. They can what they call love bomb you. Right. Which is remind you of how so good and kind Ugh. and provide opportunity and resources. And you're like, wait a second. No, I got to ignore all those things that I thought. Surely that's not true because mm. how could he be both of these? How could he be... Right manipulative and give me such great opportunities at work or opportunities at church or fill in the blank. Right. So we're like, no, we, we talk ourselves out of it. And then what we employ is that, that is coined by that incredible uh, psychologist. I forget her name off the top of my head um, on Red Table Talk, but what she shared was euphoric recall. So when we c- recall past events, we only recall the euphoric moments, the happy moments. And we kind of um, dismiss or, or edit out the ones that were negative or made us feel less than because why they're uncomfortable feelings and many of us don't mm-hmm. want to go into the dark of our own feelings and deal with what's happened or how somebody has um, exploited our boundaries so then we can and, and I think it's just our hunt for goodness we're like no I want this to be good I want this to be whole I want this to be right and mm-hmm. really it ends up eating us alive um, it ends up eating us alive because the 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 way we escape narcissists is usually a painful break there, there's usually not a pleasant like, oh, I think we just need to go our separate ways. You know? mm-hmm. It's usually painful. Like, hey, I got boundaries. You can't meet these. Or I just got to get out of here. Um, and then after some time and we've sought healing or we're, we're able to reflect back on our experience, we can see just how manipulative it was. Um, right. And, and, you know, you mentioned right at the beginning, we, we saw this um, with Weinstein, the way he would um, just manipulate and mm-hmm. and exploit power dynamics between himself and the women he employed or worked with or hired for his movies and then they would be like wait I got to tell somebody I got to do something this is not right this can't be happening he's only using me for my body or, and he's telling me he's going to give me this but then he would give them the dream role or he would give them the incredible paycheck that he want but then he would trace them around his office and pin them down so there's this both right. and that is just so unhealthy that so many of us are conditioned to accept Right, and I think some of the the ammo of a, a narcissist is they they specialize in making you feel crazy. Come on, so girl. they Come are on, actually girl. doing the behavior that is very abusive and wrong, or is the back and forth. They're screaming at you one second, and they're being so kind. They're buying you gifts, doing the things that they do, and they specialize in making you feel crazy. And I want to circle back to and just say I'm so sorry because earlier I mentioned that men only do this, but it's actually not true. Women totally 100%. do do it, and yeah. like I have a, a a couple of people in my life who are, who are how like have a, a mother figure in their life who's a narcissist. So I want to say mm-hmm. that women can totally do this, but I just wanted to make that very clear since I said that earlier. But they do, they specialize in making you feel crazy. And then I also feel like this weird dynamic happens between women. And maybe this is part of why like narcissists to me, I feel like I can spot them in my ha- history in my past. And here's why is because I was always the person at the work who at, in the workplace and in ministry 
who didn't benefit benefit from the narcissist. So I could Ooh, I would directly receive the same, you know, crap that other women were, but I was not given the opportunities and I was not given, you know, forward motion and I was not given, you know, a rung on the ladder you know, to say it mm-hmm. very flatly. But I think there are women within organizations who are receiving the abuse, but also receiving the opportunity. And so for me, there always comes this point where you're like, this is not worth it. Not only am I not getting anything out of this equation, but mm-hmm. I'm going to leave here, you know, half dead and half broken with absolutely yeah. nothing going with me. Like Come there's on. not going to be any opportunity after this. There's not going to be any connections after this. Like it's just dead in the water. And so I do think that there's that, that unique way that a narcissistic environment creates opportunities for women to not only be pitted against each other, but for other women to wound women who are just receiving all the abuse, but are not Mm -hmm. able to have any sort of forward motion in that company or in that environment. And so it is, it's a wild thing to experience and what it does to people and what it does to women. And, um, yeah, it's, this is such a hard topic, I feel, because it can happen in your home of origin and it can mm-hmm. happen in the workplace and it can happen in ministry. And it's just, it makes me so sad because everybody gets hurt in this process. Other men get wounded in this process who are also yeah. having to live under this narcissist. And, yep, absolutely. you know, I, th- I think sometimes, yeah, we just need to talk about all the nuances of it as well, because that environment totally. is so um, disempowering to people. And it does exist to serve this one person who's benefiting Mm -hmm. and then benefiting others only if it benefits them. So it's just terrible. I want to circle back, just as you said, um, to the nuance of it. I think for for those who grew up in a family of origin where there were narcissistic authority figures, um, you were conditioned to meet their needs, Mm -hmm. even to your detriment. Mm -hmm. Um, And you hoped for scraps. So then you employed a little bit of that that Stockholm syndrome of like, well, they were were a little kind to me. So you become endeared to the abusers of power in your life. And so in my situation, that was very much the case. In in my formative years, I I had no choice but to obey and Mm. meet the needs and demands of the narcissistic Um, authoritative leaders in my life Mm. and so I took that into adult life and I took that into the workplace and I I know that that I got to be honest I believe that that was one of the reasons I was hired is I think that was snuffed out really early on that I would be compliant Mm. um and and that's perhaps a little too transparent but I think that that was no it isn't that's spot on because so many people are dealing with that exactly so I just want to say um I want to praise the the point that you came to to be like I have nothing to gain from this peace And I think if more of us could realize uh, this system is rigged and it's not rigged in my favor. <laughs> like, yeah, that's right. Nobody is there. There is not a collective gain here. Therefore, there's no gain. If not everyone can win here, only one person can win. This mm-hmm. is not healthy. I don't deserve this. This is toxic. Mm-hmm. This is not a goodness culture. Mm-hmm. Whether it's in your, you know, with you and your partner, with with you and your friendship, with you friendship circle, with you at church, with you at work, whatever, mm-hmm. wherever you operate. I don't want to limit this to one to like the workplace per se, because mm-hmm. it really is evident everywhere. And I love that you opened with a relationship mm-hmm. um, that had narcissists statistic tendencies. So I, I would say that when you look at the Rolodex of your life, of all those formative experiences, look how maybe you might be susceptible to someone's right. charming persona and want to believe the good in them. And I'm a very glass half full person. So mm-hmm. I am easy prey. Truly, I really mm-hmm. am. I just got to be honest with that. Yeah. I, I am the last one to realize I'm manipulated. <laughs> mm. um, 
and and I'm not I'm not innocent in that. I'm not innocent in that. I need to grow and learn in that. And so I think for all of us, it's the understanding and the growth to realize, oh my goodness, there is an imbalance here that's being taken advantage of at my expense. Right. And I have to tell you, Ashley, so you know, with the book launch team that is reading or, you know, early copy, digital copy of the book, the biggest feedback that I have gotten, whether it's in my DMs or private Facebook messages or even on our private um, Facebook group is the chapter on narcissism, yeah. realizing as they look back, oh my gosh, yep. for the first time, I've been able to put context to my experience with my past employer, with my past mentor or yeah. pastor or yep. discipleship leader or youth pastor. That has been the, the single most um, response that I've gotten from this book so far yes. is, wow, you just made me realize what happened to me because I just thought it was all my fault. Right. I'm the bad person in this situation and it's all my fault. Right. So I love that because, again, you know, I think about this in the recovery world, right? So many people think they are not in need of recovery. And we all have to Mm. come to that conclusion on our own, right? It doesn't, it can't come from anywhere else. It's like the worst thing you do to on the Enneagram, they say, is to try to name another person's number. Like you have to arrive at your own conclusions about your journey and your life and who you are. And that's true in recovery. But I think that some people dismiss recovery because they think to themselves, I'm not those people. And so we forget that, yeah, we all can have tendencies of things like codependency. We all can have tendencies of like borderline addictive personalities or whatever the situation might be. You you know, you put it in there. All of us have a little bit of dysfunction in us, period. And we are in need of recovery. And so I think that this is true for narcissism. That is such a big, scary word. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, a narcissist. And you don't want to, not only do you personally not want to identify it, but it is difficult to sort of name that in your life. And so what I appreciate about your book is that you are naming the more nuanced subtleties, which is why I loved that red table talk, because then you recognize like, oh, like it doesn't, it's not this big, scary Nebuchadnezzar looking person. This is actually like, oh, someone who, who they can be kind, they can be charming, they can be, you know, loving if, if you you can call that love, which I wouldn't, but you get the idea. You can assume that that's love in the beginning. And so I think that, you know, kind of teasing that out for people is what so deeply resonates in the same way that recovery, when you see what it is, you realize like, oh, I actually want that. It's not for those people. It's for all people. And so that's what I appreciate about this. This chapter in your book because you know narcissism is real mm-hmm. and it is something that can be healed and it is something that if you have experienced it you can overcome it and so why don't you tell people like what are a couple of things they can do um let's say you know somebody is living with a narcissist you know that's a different level of breaking away than someone yeah. who is in a workplace where there's a narcissist there's a different level of mercy and tenderness required for yeah. someone who's living with someone like what are some of the boundaries they could practice and then if they're in a workplace like what can they do you know differently yeah. how can they walk away from these situations yeah. So I think it, just as you said, if it's in an intimate relationship and you're living with this person or it's a roommate per se, right. um, I think being really clear on boundaries of what, how somebody can have access to your time, mm-hmm. your body, your attention, your money, your resources, your platform, anything that is yours to guard. Yeah. I think you have to be very clear on what you're able to meet and what you're able to offer. Yes. Nothing more, nothing less. Because narcissistic, yep. what do they do? They take, they take, they take, they take, they take. Absolutely. So being able to have very clear boundaries, and if those can't be met, then there might need to be um, some separation. There might need to be, yes. you know, move out of your roommate's apartment that you got a really good deal on Craigslist, whatever the case may be. Yeah. Now, in the workplace, that's hard because what if that person is signing our paycheck, Ashley? Right? Sure. What if that person has so much power over our 
future earning potential or our reputation in our professional sphere. That's a really, really hard topic. And so I think um, before that gets to that point, I think, and this is going to be an anthem you'll probably hear every week during the Pray Tell series, is just accountability, 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 accountability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pursuing accountability, whether that's through HR, whether that's through um, people who you believe will hear you, because there's nothing worse than going to the narcissist themselves. They're not going to hear you. Mm-hmm. You're only going to inflame the situation. So you have to have support. You have to have support, especially in the workplace environment. Yes. So whether that's HR, whether that's going with a friend who've, you've all, who's also witnessed or experienced um, that harsh treatment or that ill will. And then, again, creating those boundaries of, oh, you know what? I, I turn my phone off after 6 o'clock. Yep. Um, I, I can't meet that. If, when you email me at 2 a.m. to come do this or do that or get that done by 7 a.m., I'm not able to do that. And you right. know what? Um the likelihood is that's not in your job description. So know Correct. your rights. I got to be honest. This is a know your rights moment. Um, and it's also a moment of, do I want to be here? You know what's so funny? Um, Caitlin Beatty, who is an author, culture commentator, it, she said, when you interview a place, think about, would I want to be friends with these people? Would I want to go mm-hmm. on vacation with these people? Do I like these people? Would I want to be like them? And if the answer is no, you just might want to consider <laughs> Before you go into a culture where you sense that that is the demeanor or that is the accepted uh, behavior um, in a place. And some of us can't suss that out early on. Or those are really, those are luxury choices, frankly. Like, you know, that, you know, most people cannot do that. And so that, that is a luxury choice. If you have established a certain type of career and you can go in and evaluate, would I be friends with these people? So I think most people are not in that space. Right. But certainly if you are, do that. But again, those are luxury choices. So most people have to figure out what you were talking about around boundaries and mm-hmm. keeping a record of receipts of what's happening and documenting things and going to HR. Like that's most people. Cause I don't think yeah. most people can be like, can I be friends? No, I wouldn't vac- vacation with hardly any of my coworkers. Okay. Let's like, <laughs> you know, in the past I yeah. just wouldn't. So I want to make that caveat too. Cause I think again, yeah, I that's, that. that's like, you know, one you're really favorite, special if you can do that. <laughs> one of my one of my favorite examples of what you're referring to is McDonald's. Um, yeah. You know, in the last few years they've had, thousands and thousands and thousands of women come forward who said that their manager corralled them into the bathroom on their 10-minute break and forced them to do x y and z to them or they said they would fire them and both and they would be able to feed their babies that night or or pay their rent that's right Um, and so uh, goes back to that first um that first encouragement of collective concern and Mm -hmm. seeking out help and so these women ordinary women a lot of them from black and brown communities um they garnered strength they called mcdonald's hq they they called the times up fund i mean there there's there's resources the equal opportunity um employment commission which is for every job if you if they are paying you and they are paying taxes they're responsible to the eeoc who is in who is charged with ensuring and addressing workplace yeah. harassment or violence or an imbalance of power. There's incredible government agencies whose job is to make sure that this doesn't happen. Yep. And so being able to, again, know your rights, call those people. And it has been incredible that mom, the momentum they got, the nationwide attention they got. I mean, the New York Times did story after story of like, hey, this is not acceptable. This will not stand. McDonald's, you better take responsibility. Yes. Or we're this is this is gonna go downhill for you, and yeah. so I think that we have to remember our soul experience is probably not a soul experience. That's right. <laughs> Other people have likely experienced the harm a narcissist mm-hmm. brings to the table, 
And so raising your voice, again, speaking up. This is why we silence so many tell the truth and how everyone can speak up. Because truly, whether you're working at Walmart or whether you can pick whether you want a vacation with those people, from the from wherever you stand, knowing that you have a voice and that your identity, respect, and dignity matters in the places that you work and worship must be believed or we will allow this unchecked misogyny and sexism and narcissism to go on un, un, unbridled. Right. And I think one thing to close is just, you know, a narcissist, what they do, they have this grandiose idea of how important they are. And so they make mm-hmm. themselves feel larger than life in your life and especially in your own mind and in your head. And so oh, yeah. part of the undoing is recognizing, like I think about Psalm 23, like, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and it's a shadow. It's like they make themselves so large in your head that you can oh, feel afraid good. to send that email, afraid to talk to a friend, afraid to go to HR, afraid to leave that job, afraid to walk out of that relationship because they have made themselves so big in your mind and they feel like they can destroy your life, destroy your career, destroy your relationships, destroy your community. And certainly there will be losses when you walk away from something as large as this, but at the same time, they are not nearly as big as they have made themselves in your mind. And so just please remember that if this is what you're dealing with, that you are not finished if you walk away and your career is not done if you walk away and your livelihood might change, but it is not done if you walk away. And so I just want you guys to know that, that they specialize in making you feel crazy and in making themselves so large in your own head that you struggle to make decisions that are beneficial for your life. And so it's important for you to begin to think about, gosh, it's a shadow. It's like the, you know, the big um, air balloon in Wizard of Oz. Like he pulled back that curtain and he's like this little guy on a bicycle. And that's actually what a narcissist is in your life. They do not have the power that they've assumed in your life. And they are just making you feel like they can do terrible things to you. And, um, you know, in some cases, many of you have experienced those things. So I'm not making light of that. I just want you to know that grandiose sense of who they are and the bigness that they become in your mind. You don't have to, to live like that. And you can walk away. And we'll put some resources in the show notes. I'll get those from Tiffany. So if you do need to make some calls or get some additional help, Mm -hmm. then we can can provide that for you. Um, Because we love you guys. Get out of this narcissism. These people yeah. need to be put I down. I love that Wizard humbled. of Oz example. <laughs> that is the most beautiful example. Yeah. I mean, maybe beautiful is not the right word. Accurate, Accurate. example. Yeah. Um, because they, it, it, this intentional um, inflamed view of who they are is mm-hmm. so, it can, like you said, it can feel like I can't make decisions for my well-being because of who and what they could do to me. You know, it's just, right. it can feel like too much, but the righteous will not be forsaken. You are yeah. loved. You are empowered. It's the very reason Jesus died and rose again is to yes. give us abundant, full yes. life, not not a, a, a sliver yeah. of a broken life that a narcissist can perpetuate. So why the listeners, we're so thankful for you. And we know this is not light frozen pizza cheese board sitch, but we're here <laughs> for you. We're ready to do the heavy lifting, the light lifting, the laughing, coming to the table with our honest selves. We're so thankful for you. Bless you. Bye-bye. Hey listeners, remember to subscribe and comment. It helps others to find the show. To learn more about Tiffany's writing, speaking, or books, visit tiffanybloom.com. To learn more about Ashley's writing, speaking, or books, visit ashabercrombie.org. See you next week.